Thank you. Uh, just stand there for a second. Put your books down. You notice my, my brother is wearing a red tie to a men's breakfast. Uh, there's a reason for that. <clears throat> I got this call from this guy in Woodstock who said to me, you can sit down. He said to me, um, hi, are you Al Cabral? Do you do counseling? I said, yes. He said, well, I need nuthetic counseling. Now, nuthetic is a word which most people don't know unless you hang around counseling. And I said, that's an interesting word. Why do you use that word? It means um, a specific type of counseling, mostly b biblical counseling. <clears throat> and um, he said, well, I need help with my relationships. I said, really, what's going on? Well, I'm, I'm living with a 42-year-old woman, and I'm 22 years old, and I want you to help us in our relationship. I said, okay, you want me to help you to do something which you know is inappropriate. Yeah. So stand up again. I, I, I said, where am I going to meet you? He said, I'll meet you at Tim Hortons. I said, do you know where it is? Yes. Okay. Um, I said, how will I know you? He said, I will have a red tie on. I said, you work in a mill. You won't have to do this much longer. <laughs> you work in a mill, but you're coming to see me, and you will be wearing a red tie. Can I just ask why a red tie? He said, sure. Because red, a red tie stands for leadership and stability and accountability. And I got thinking about that in the light of, what we're going to talk about here this morning. This is totally different from the first one, though they both come from the Bible. Because it is very easy. There's nobody else here but us, so let's talk to us. It is very easy for us to do the red tie thing. And the red tie thing means, look, I have my red tie on. I show up at the appropriate times. I do all the stuff I'm supposed to be doing just one more time. I'm wearing my tie, which he just took off. Now he's holding it, and he's going to leave it there so I don't have to ask him to get up again. And I thought, it, it's not so much what's wrong with the world that stops God from doing what he wants to do. The world's always been wicked. It's always been nasty. It has enmity with him. It's just awful. But I thought about my own life and most of the people I have counseled over the years. People reach a tipping point at, at some point in their life where they're the same, they're the same, they're the same, they're the same, and then something happens which tips the scale. It either tips the scale against God or for God. So I'm not doing a magic show here, but I'm not going to pull it out yet, but I want to illustrate this to you. So first of all, if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to Psalm 77, which is the psalm I'm going to be reading. This is a psalm of Asaph. Asaph was involved, he was a worship leader. He was involved in the music program at People's Church way back then. And, and you would think that this guy who hung around God for so long would, would not have, because Christians are not supposed to have deep, deep troubles 
where they cry out to God. Only twice in my entire life have I heard somebody cry out to God. You know they're in agony when they cry out to God. And, and it just means they're, they're really serious. It, they're not the red tie guys. The red tie guy won't tip. That's his problem. I could help him in 10 minutes. But he won't tip because he's, he's putting his girlfriend here, which he really wants. He tells me he has a problem with sex, but that's not his real problem. As long as the girlfriend is here, God can't tip him towards himself. So how am I going to do an end run around God and help them? Asif is an incredibly honest guy. And he's going to tell you what's up in his life. So let's read it. The, uh, the heading is, To the choir master according to Jeduith, a psalm of Asif. Listen to this. I cry aloud to God. Something is happening in this guy's life. Aloud to God, and I know this much. I'm hanging on to this much that he will hear me. In the day of my trouble. That means I'm in a tight place. I'm being restricted. I can't get out of this. And God is allowing this to happen to me. How much trouble are you in? Well, it made me seek the Lord. In the nights. You know, when you're sick, night's always worse, don't you? When you have trouble. Like last night, I knew I was going to speak this morning. So I woke up every hour. Uh, it, it's Night is always bad if you're in trouble. In the night, my hand is stretched out in prayer. With I'm not even tired of holding my hand up here. I'm, I'm doing business with God here. I got to have some relief in this trouble that I'm in. Now listen to how he expresses this. My soul refuses to be comforted. This is not put on your red tie and everything will be cool. He has to work through this. My soul refuses to be comforted. Let me, let me stop and tell you something. I had a lady call me up. She says, I'm having a nervous breakdown. And um, uh, my husband and I are going to come see you. And, um, <clears throat> but I'm having a nervous breakdown. I said, okay. Two months later, they show up at my house. And um, she says, I don't like God. I don't like my husband's preaching, and I don't like church. I looked at that as really positive. Do you know why? Because until I am completely honest about where I am, I, God's not obligated to help me. So it's much easier to put the red tie on so you and say, I'm cool. But when she says, I have trouble and he's going to tell you he does. When I remember God, verse 3, I moan. You say, if he was a real believer, he wouldn't be going through all this stuff. Because real believers are never here. Oh, yeah. When I meditate, my spirit faints. In other words, nothing's working. I'm doing all the things I'm supposed to be doing. So I said, ma'am, I don't think your trouble is the congregation or your husband's preaching. I think... You don't like God because God is giving you trouble here. And you're resisting the trouble that God is giving you. 
And I said, by the way, you're way tipped towards what you want and what you need instead of what God wants to do in glorifying himself in your life. Anyway, I prayed with her. She prayed. And she emailed me about two weeks later. And she says, my husband preached the best message I ever heard in my life. You see, the ability to recalculate is probably one of the most important things we can ever learn. If you've ever used GPS and you go too far, they go, recalculating, recalculating. Now, it's hard for us, the bunch who are here today, it's hard for us at times to say, Al, I started on this journey a long time ago. I don't need to recalculate. I know exactly where I am. This guy is finding out that while he believes in God, he's come to a tight place and he has to do something about his relationship to God because the red tie thing isn't working anymore. And that kind of honesty, God is compelled to honor and to help. She said, I like my husband's preaching. I like the church. I love God. Her kids didn't like God, by the way. Because she didn't like God. What changed? That's what I'm after. What tipped her? First of all, being frankly honest about where she was, I, I got to hurry in reading here. You hold my eyelids open. You, you're doing this to me, God, verse 4. I am so troubled I cannot speak. I don't know if you've ever been there. So troubled, I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years of long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. So I'm going back and saying, look, these things worked before. Why aren't they working now? I mean, I used to sing those songs and they would revive me. They're not working. And one of the things her husband said to me, which I thought was incredible. I keep giving her scripture verses which are so powerful and so helpful, and they don't work. And that's true. Until I tip the other way towards God, the scripture is just more words. So I'm used to just talking to one or two people, so I feel very privileged there because I've got lots of people. Here. But one of the things I do in talking one-on-one -on -one is I'm trying to figure out is this person absolutely honest with me? Because if they have an argument in their head, like the red tie, that I shouldn't be going through this kind of stuff, and this shouldn't be happening to me, and I'm doing all the right stuff, and God has to honor me, then all the scripture I throw towards them is not going to connect. It's not going to connect, even though it's the word of God. Because I'm not open to this God. So he has to work through this. He said, I remember my songs in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made diligent search. You cannot stop this guy. I love to meet these people. You can't stop this guy. He, he will not stop. I met one of these uh, a little while ago. He came to me and he was agitated. I mean, he was agitated. He was, he was like this. He said, Al, I've been a Christian for a long time. And, 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 and it's not working. I am wearing my red tie. He didn't say that. It's, it's just not working. So my question is, how can you be a Christian for a long time and it not be working? And I think the answer is, I have never settled these 
questions about what is the purpose of my life? What am I supposed to be doing besides working, raising my family, coming to church? What is the purpose of my life? So that if I get that, I will glorify God from this. And I sat down with him. He said, I'm worried about my wife. I'm worried about my kids. And he wanted control. I'm going to read you part of his letter in a second. But he was incredibly agitated. And when I read this, it reminded me of him. He went back and tried every single thing he could to get this reality of God in his life. And he couldn't connect. Verse 7. Five questions. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Now he's asking questions about God. Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Is his anger shut up in compassion? You see, you will think nasty things about God when this is not clear to you. Why did God allow this in my marriage, my family, my kids, my finances, the trouble, my physical health? Lots of people say, I forsook God. I walked away from him because if he's going to allow this stuff, I'm not dealing with that kind of God. Do you know what? You consider God to be light. He's not heavy with glory. He's light. I can just dismiss him. Verse 10 is really what got me started in this psalm. Because there's two different translations, and everybody I researched says it's one of the hardest verses in the Old Testament. I'm going to try. Then I said, I will appeal to this, the years of the right hand of the Most High. Which, if you're really clever, maybe you understand that. Let me give you an alternate translation. My greatest grief, because there's only a number of small Hebrew words here. My greatest grief or affliction or distress, he says, is this. That you have changed. God, sometimes I wonder about you. I worry about you. Because I'm, I have my tie on. And I show up. And I seem to have more trouble than everybody else. And that bothers me that you have changed in your attitude towards me. That's one way to look at it. The other way to look at it is, I'm going to appeal to the true person of God and see if I can get somebody to help me through this. Because when you are at this place, and this is where my buddy was, this is where the pastor's wife was, when I'm at that place, it's really the best place you could ever be. When somebody comes into you and they are so distressed, I don't consider, oh man, I got my work cut out for me now. I go, praise God, this is going to be easy. Because we're three quarters the way to them being helped. The problem is, I don't understand where I really am. I just need some help with my girlfriend because it's affecting our relationship. I want God to intervene and help me. And then verse 11, he starts his journey. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Now his focus is on God. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old, your miracles. I will ponder your work and meditate on all your deeds. Your way, O oh God, is holy. Who or what God is great like our God? Do you know what he's doing? He's tipping the scale in the favor of God here and not his trouble. 
if God is this big and this good and I have such horrendous trouble, and then he's going to keep going on the side of the scale that God is on. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might amongst the people. That's the Gentiles. And your arm redeemed your people. That's Israel, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the water saw you, he's talking about the Red Sea here. When the water saw you, how does this happen? Oh God, when the water saw you, they were afraid. Now, can I ask you a question? Have you ever seen waters afraid? You know, you cross over the Heartland Bridge and the river goes, whoo. What does he mean? He's talking about the Red Sea. In the biggest trouble that Israel had up to this point was that Red Sea. That's why he goes to the worst situation you can possibly imagine. There was no way out. Mountains, sea, an army behind them. We're dead. It is hopeless. And God spoke to nature. And Kyle and Dalich, you really have to be living close to God to get Kyle and Dalich. It's Old Testament commentary. But they said something which I thought was so incredibly powerful. In the presence of Almighty God, the natural courses of nature become unhinged. I love that. The natural courses of nature become unhinged. God says to the water, move! And the water just moves. So what's that say about my trouble? A lot. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed. Listen, the Israelites never saw any of those. So here's my question. Can God be doing something in your life that you don't see? Yes, they didn't see the horses, the armies of God. In fact, he's going to say down here, there was not one footprint at the Red Sea. And here's God with his army. Habakkuk says when he talks about this same passage. He said, your horses were there with your army. And he says here, we couldn't see you and what you were doing at People's Church or in your group or in your life or in your marriage. There was, it was just like you weren't there, but this wonderful result happened. This is the way he's explaining it. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea. Your path was through great waters. What does that mean? That every time God restricts you and puts you in trouble, his desire is to get you through this. Because he doesn't get any glory by this. This doesn't bring him any glory. Most of the people I know who go through great difficulty have an understanding of God that other people do not have. Why? Because your way is through the great waters, and yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Aaron and Moses. Two things. One translation has this. You led your people like a pastor. So I said to my friend, a lady who didn't like God, her husband, or his preaching, your husband's not your main pastor. Jesus is. He's called the shepherd, isn't he? Yeah. He said, I am the chief shepherd. And if God is going to help me, I like this one. See that last verse? 
It wasn't just God and you. Okay, let's get this part straight. Lots of us are never helped with the trouble that we're in because we don't want anybody else to walk into my life and open up the suitcase of my life. This is just what I brought my stuff in. And start rummaging around in my life. This is what people are afraid of. They're desperately afraid of this. And yet, God helps us by the hand of Moses and Aaron. See, God uses men to help other men get through this. So if you're thinking, people tell me this all the time. This is how I know this. Especially men. They say to me, you give me the solution and I'll go home and I'll be on my face before God, but I don't want to do it with you. And I say, you know why you don't want to do it with me? Because you want me to think that you have it all together and you don't have it all together. And the only reason you're here now is because the trouble is driving you this way. So God gives us lots of trouble. Now, I read it. Now I have to speak on it. So here's the title for those of you who like to write. The title is Luminosity for the Soul. Luminosity is a program that you can get online if you have Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, MS, dementia. And the purpose of it, lots of healthy people use this as well, by the way. It's helping with attention, flexibility, memory, spatial things, seeing things in spatial places. And when I started Luminosity for the body, for the mind, because of Parkinson's, I was 1%. And I thought, I'm in the one percentile. That means 99 of the people are worse than me. No. I was in the 1% and 99 of the people were better than me. (laughs) You know how humiliating that is? Like Bob Booker's way ahead of me. (laughs) I'm in the 1%. Now, here's, here's my option. Here's my option. I can say, okay, that's where I am. That's where God put me. I'm going to stay there. But luminosity has this little theory. If you work on what you're not good at, listen to me now. Doug's going to be going to school. You're in school. This is is the whole purpose of school. You go to school because you're not good at something, and they're hopefully going to make you better at what you can't do now. The theory of luminosity is if you work at what you're not good at now, eventually you will be able to do what you couldn't do before. Now let me tell you the miracle. I do this every day, and some days it's agonizing. They show me pictures. They show me trains going to different stations. I have to direct the stations. And you say, you're just wasting your time playing games. No, I'm not. I'm working through what this psalm talks about. I am now up to 20% percentile. Yeah. I came up 400 points by doing what I could not do before. Now, this is not luminosity for your Parkinson's. This is luminosity for your soul. What is that? That is God saying to you, I don't want you to stay where you are. You got to know where you are, but I don't want you to stay where you are. I have invested in you 
my son. And my goal and my purpose for you is to get you to do things you may not like, you cannot do, you're having trouble with, you're struggling with, because if you keep doing those things, eventually you're going to be able to do them. They're giving you memory questions when I can't even remember people's names. I would be counting out coffee in the morning and I would lose my place through one to three. I'd dump it out and start all over again. Now I can count to five. I'm, I'm serious. I'm absolutely serious here. It's not curing me, but it's helping me. And God says, I know you're not good at this godly living stuff, but I want you to start because I have a vested interest in you. And what this guy does is he goes from this level here, which is way down 1%. When I think of God, I moan. I can't sleep. I can't talk. I can't eat. I'm struggling. I'm at 1%. And when the psalm ends up, the scale is tipped totally the other way. My question is, what happened to this guy and how do we transfer that to us? You with me? When a giraffe gives birth to a calf, they do that standing up, which means that baby falls six feet so you never have to smack a baby giraffe to wake him up. He just fell six feet. He's, he's awake. And the zookeeper called all these people in and said, the giraffe is going to have a calf. Why don't you come in? And the giraffe had the calf. <clears throat> and the calf, the mother came over and she cleaned it off. And oh, and the little calf nursed. And then 20 minutes later, she booted him right across the pen. And all the people said, get that calf out of there. The mother is rejecting it. And he said, no. She's teaching him how to get up. See, in the giraffe world, the one lesson you got to know is when you get down, how do you get up? That's what this psalm is about. God is teaching you how to get up. Listen, if you're like me, you have days when you don't want to get up physically and every other way. I have lots of reasons to bless God and praise God. Believe me, he has been a wonderful God to me. Sometimes my mind tells me things that are not true just because of Parkinson's. And, and, and I have to say, that's not God. That's not even me. That's just the disease. <clears throat> and I struggle a lot. And when I'm reading this, God says, you're not exempt from this. So the little calf eventually came over on his long legs back to his mother, and he nurses from his mother. And another 10 minutes later, she boots him across the pen again. And everybody's saying, see, we were right. She's rejecting him. And he said this. I read a book this thick just to get that one illustration. The rest of the book, I don't know what the rest of the book is. I don't even know the name of the book, but I remember the story about the giraffe. This is what the zookeeper said. When they said, she is rejecting him. First, he said, she's teaching him how to get up because that's the most important lesson a giraffe can learn. They're all legs. If they're down... They can't outrun anything. If they're down, the smallest beasts can eat them. But if they can get up, they can get away. Here's what he said the second time. She's reminding him how he got up. Okay? 
What is God doing in my life and your life through the trouble that we're in? He is reminding us how to get up. And every time he kicks you down and you say stuff like this, have you forgotten to be gracious? It seems like you got your arrows all on me. What about these other people? Why do I have to go through all of this? And God is saying, because my glory is at stake here, buddy. It's not just your comfort. Now, I just have four things to say. I've been studying this psalm for so long, I have, I have overstudied. If, if you're a preacher, you know what this is. I have 37 pages on this one psalm. And last night, God just said, <clears throat> just give them these four simple things. This is not going to last for four hours. Just, just do the simple stuff. You know all the other stuff because I want to get this in you first. I want you to understand what this and you to grasp how this happens because you're going to need it in the days that are ahead. And do you know what? You may need it too. You just don't know you need it yet. So if I could teach you one thing today, I want to teach you how to reboot. <laughs> I learned a really wonderful lesson about technology. I even asked my computer friend, who's a programmer, for this worldwide credit card company. He's the fastest typer I've ever seen in my life. He just walks around like this. He's so focused. I said, why when a computer crashes? This is what this guy's doing. Okay, he's crashing. Can you not just type in, please uncrash yourself? He says, more information is not what it needs. It can't do anything with new information. You unplug it and you turn it off. Do you know that in this psalm, three times he says, sila. You know what that means? It's a musical term. It's such a complicated word, we don't even know what it means. But it means something like this. You're preaching and you say, hang on. We're going to have a two-minute break here. This is so powerful what I just said, he said in the first three verses, that after the first three verses, he says, Sila. I want you to stop. I want you to grasp this. I want you to take note of this. I want you to pause. I want you to worship. Can you worship in silence? Yeah. Oh, man, God, that's powerful. This guy must be in trouble. He is. So I did this. One day I was trying to do something with my little Kindle, and I remembered, turn it off, and then turn it on. And don't ask me what the miracle is, but when it came back, it was okay. And every techie's walking around, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know how that happened. I think God says to you, you know what? You're in this train of thought. You're thinking this way. Just hang on for a second. Sila. You got to get out of this groove that you're in. That everything is hopeless, helpless, terrible. This is my trouble. I'm giving up on God. <clears throat> there was a pop song a while ago. I'm... I'm I'm walking out on you. I'm giving up on you. I'm leaving. That's what he's saying to God. 
that he loves. You say, well, Al, listen, if he followed my devotional life, if he, uh, if he came to our church, if he read this book by this person, he would never have to go through this trouble. I'm telling you that God is intentionally putting him in this trouble so that he can grow him. And this is not, I'm coming to men's breakfast so that I can find out how to stop the trouble. I'm coming to men's breakfast so that I can understand how huge. I couldn't get over this. I actually had to stop a couple of times. How huge. That's what the word great means. God is. So here's point number one. This is where I am. That's pretty simple. First three verses and then seal it. This is where I am. I cried aloud. Have you, have you ever sobbed? I, I used to sob. I can remember sobbing as a teenager. I, was, I had so much grief and so much emotion and so much angst in my life that I, I just cried and I sobbed. Sobbing means you're heaving while you're crying. This is what this means. This is where I am, guys. I cried aloud unto God. Sunday morning, when you're preaching, if somebody in the congregation suddenly goes, Oh my God! And they really meant it. And they crawl up to the front and they're sobbing. When I was out in Texas one time, I was talking to this guy. He said, I have problems with my wife. She doesn't. She doesn't want to come to church. She doesn't like God. I'm a missionary. I'm a soul winner. I'm a red tie wearer. <clears throat> and uh, the problem is my wife, brother. Al, what am I going to do? After listening to him, I said, I don't think the problem is your wife. I think the problem is you. He said, how, how could that be, brother? I'm wearing the red tie. I said, because instead of loving your enemy and giving them food and water, you're taking what your wife needs, and when she gets mad at you, you just walk away. You know what this guy did? He sobbed. And he sobbed so bad. This was during lunch. Did you go to Texas? No. Nobody here has been to Texas. This was lunchtime. We're sitting at a picnic table, and he's going, ah! I, that, That's not authentic because I'm not grieving right now, but everybody was looking around. What is Brother Al doing to this man? He said, I never saw that before. I said, are you okay? This went on for like 10 minutes. He just said, this is where I am. I don't know how to get up. Nobody ever taught me how to get up again. This is where I am in my soul. It's night. I'm seeking God. My hand is stretched out. My soul refuses to be comforted. I am in such bad shape, I have no comfort. Well, surely there must be sin in your life and your relationship with God must be terrible. Or, this is where I am. A couple of months later, this is from this guy who was so concerned about his wife. God taught me another lesson. I was telling him there was no hope that he could work in my wife's life. How foolish and offensive. What a word. More unbelief, fear, and lack of faith. I never again want to have lack of faith in God's ability to work. Never again do I want my faith to hinder God from doing miracles in our lives. A couple of months later, 
He taught me that discouragement is nothing else but unbelief, a failure to acknowledge his sovereignty and purpose. God never falls off the cliff of discouragement when I fail him. So why should I, when someone sins a little bit against me? God stays calm, loves me, forgives me, and is long-suffering towards me. I write these things because you told me I had to be part of the process. If you met this guy, he would be the red tie king. I mean, honestly, he's trying to do everything right, but he wants to tip the scale in his favor. He wants to have his own way. He wants his wife a certain way. He wants his kids a certain way. He wants his church a certain way. And he can't do it. And it frustrates him. So we spent two days together, six nights of Skyping. And then he says, over a year ago now, God used me to show me what it means to be spiritually drunk. I guess I must have used that term. I don't remember using it. But what I meant was he is so obsessed with doing the right thing and healing everybody else when first he needs to be healed. And you know what? He and his wife are doing fine. He and his kids are doing fine. See, we are the first domino. The guy is the first domino. And if God could get you to bend like that, and you honestly say, this is where I am, it would be easy for your wife to come. It would be easy for your kids to come. to have a sin problem in my life so long that the Holy Spirit finally steps back and removes his restraining ministry in my life. My life re- removes the wall of that, his, that is his fruit, his joy, his peace, and self-control. I also learned the outward surface sins are not the key problem. They are bad and cause damage, but are not God's main concern. He wants me to dig out the root and to cast it off. If you met that guy today, he's a different guy. So that's what I'm after, see? This is where I am. I must admit that with complete honesty. Excuse me. That's always the first step. I got to learn how to reboot, how to get up again. That's one to three. And then he says, did you get that? That was just three verses. Sila, let's stop and think about that for a minute. This is where I am in my marriage. This is where I am in my finances. This is where I am in my concern for other people. See, I, I, I got to love you. I have this really cranky neighbor that lives across the street from me by the name of Eddie White. Eddie White's lawnmower broke the other day. And God said, why don't you go over and mow Eddie's lawn? I said, God, I'm going to go over and mow Eddie's lawn. I went to visit a guy last week, and I said, I'm, I'm just here to talk about you because I know you're in grief and you're distressed and you don't know what to do and you don't know what way to turn. I can't heal your wife. I'm just here to tell you I love you and I'm concerned. You know what I'm trying to do? I'm trying to tip myself towards the glory of God. I don't, I don't do miracles. I don't do huge stuff. And then I went back and mowed his grass again because I didn't know he had his mower fixed and it was under there. He just kept it hidden to see if I would come back. (laughs) And I did. So he calls me up and he says, Al, you didn't have to do that. I said, yeah, I I do because this is luminosity for the soul. See, you have to have, thanks, 
relationship. You have to have relationship with other guys. Otherwise, you're going to get stuck somewhere. Thank you. Luminosity says you're not good at this. But if you keep at it, eventually you're going to be able to do things that you couldn't do before. God says, I know you're impatient, and I know you're selfish, and I know you lack self-control. But it's always because it's you against him. But if I understand, and when I understand who he is, how much bigger he is than any appetite I have, he's like huge. Even these little white fuzzy things can tip the scale. Can you see them? You say, I'm doing okay, man. I don't have much trouble in my life. But what happens when you get a little bit of trouble? Well, you just add more little... do some really great things, lots of great things, but I got trouble. I have people in my life, I have circumstances in my life, I have relationships in my life, and this thing is constantly going back and forth, it's just going back and forth. sometimes it's huge and I cry out to God and I say this is where I am this is where I am this is where I am and during this time the second point is this is what I said this is what I said when I was where I am this is what I said believe it or not I said you hold my eyelids open you won't let me sleep I am so troubled I cannot speak in the days of old I considered long ago. Let me remember my song in the night. Get me back to where I was. And nothing seems to tip this. I ask guys to pray for me. I come to men's breakfast. I'm with other men. Look at us all together there. And nothing tips my trouble. This is what I said. I was um, in my living room one day, and this person came in. And I, I must tell you, it was, a, it was a phenomenal experience for me. I don't get my ooh-ahs out of counseling people and helping people. But th this one was pretty awesome. We went through, this is where you really are. You, you, don't, know, you don't know where you are. By the way, we usually don't know where we are. We always think we're way ahead of where we should be. And we don't know until somebody else sits down with you and says, look at this, look at this, look at this. Look at this. And they said to me, I'm so glad somebody can make sense out of this. Because when you're by yourself...
you can never make sense. And it rolls away anyway. You say, I checked my life, man. I'm pretty good. And the second day they were there, I said, so tomorrow when you come, I want you to bring a list of what you said to God and about people and about your relationship with him and about your life. I want you to bring that list and we're going to pray through that list. Instead of bringing a list, they brought a prayer. I'm sitting there listening to this thing. I can hardly believe it. Not quite sure how to begin, they read. They wrote to God. But here goes. This is what they say to God. If I'm going to be completely honest, isn't that amazing? There are some things I need to say. I need to say I have been angry, disappointed and disillusioned by the turns and twists of my life. All that emotion is aimed at you, God. Quite honestly, I don't cry easy. What I am witnessing is a miracle here. I am witnessing somebody who has some trouble And yet the scale is tipped in spite of the trouble. If I don't kick those out of the way, I'm going to run over them. Here, the first day, this is where I am and nobody can help me. I was made this way. Second day, something tipped the scale and I'm saying to God, mostly I'm mad at you because I think you run a crummy universe. Now the amount of people who do that are multiple millions. This is not unique to that person. But when I find God, I find something more glorious, see, than my trouble. And then even if I have double trouble, and I put all the marbles and all the little rocks on that, God is still tipping the balance in his favor. Do you know why? He wants to teach us how to get up. And I'm quite honest with you when I say this. If I did nothing else for the rest of my life, I would like to help people tip in the direction of God. Not only does luminosity say that, but God says that. Because if we, usually I just tip one rock at a time. One person. I read you a couple letters from some of them. Who have troubles. And we just keep adding rocks to these things. I started 45 years ago helping one rock. Just one at a time. One at a time. And God says, that's good, you helped one rock. But what if, not starting with 100,000 or 3,000 like Pentecost, what if God just started with 20, however many we got here? You know, just... I mean, he's got to start with me, Right? But what if we could influence other people so that they could learn how to get up again? Because if you don't get unstuck, that means you're going to stay there for the rest of your life. 
I'm not going to get unstuck from Parkinson's, that, that's fine, or diabetes, or Meniere's, or stenosis in my neck. I'm not going to get unstuck from them, but that's okay, because the glory of God outweighs everything, even death that's going to happen to all of us eventually. And this is what I say, God, I don't understand my life. I, I, I can't give reason for this. He says, I'm trying to teach you how to get up again. The most important thing is how to get up again. Now, number three. This is what I learned. You see, from verse 10 down through verse 11, he says, I think I'm getting the hang of this. This is what I learned. I learned that it's not my trouble and it's not my situation and it's not my wife and it's not my kids and it's not my job and it's not my boss and it's not what I want out of life. It is you. And once I get you straight out on this, I can get up. I can rise up no matter what happens to me. Now, I'm, I'm just saying, I said this to God while I'm studying this. I said, God, <clears throat> wouldn't it just be wonderful if not only in people's church, but in all of our churches, men <clears throat> would figure out this is where I am, this is what I had to say, and this is what I learned. See, because an epidemic starts out with one person being sick. This is how Ebola starts up. And then their family gets sick. And suddenly the scale is tipped. And then pretty soon you have millions of people who are sick. How did that all start? Started by one person getting a disease. It's true in fashion. It's true in coffee. It's true about everything. Somebody starts it, nobody's doing it, and then everybody's doing it. How does God do that? God tipped the scales in favor of you at Calvary. The only cross I could find in my house is from Nicaragua. But on that cross, that wasn't just a death. It was the most glorious change and lesson learned. Don't worry about those. Ever. So you say, God, I have some trouble. And I have some friends. And I have all kinds of stuff going on in my life. And God says, I got you. I got you back. See, at first... He's, what he learned was, I'm the most important person and you're not fixing my life. That's what he learned. That's how he spoke. But then he learned there was a tipping point in history at Calvary when on that cross, Jesus said, this is the hour of my glory. And ever since then, the scale has been tipped in the favor of God towards you and me. This is what I have to learn. I have to learn to recalculate what's important to me, what's necessary for me. Because in our younger years, we head off and do things that we think are not going to affect the rest of our lives. And they do. And we have the memories of them. 
and they're stuck. Every day I get a reminder on my Kindle, my phone, and my computer that says, Al, it's time to start training. Luminosity. Did you like this game, Al? Do you want to keep this game in the rotation? I said, I don't like that one. The one I could never get was you have to load four cups of coffee, which are different orders. I, I just couldn't get it. And that was taking my score down, of course. So I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to serve coffee for the next five days. Because you've got to put in the right order, and then you have to wait until it fills up, and then you have to hit it before it goes into the garbage. And I said, Lord, if, what if we were so dedicated to you that every day when you sent us a reminder that we've got to work on this? This is not something I can leave until when I'm old. This is something I need to start now. And it's not a program. It's not a quiet time diary. It's not a devotional book. It is, at first, I was worried about God, and I wondered if he had changed, right? And God says, you know, I'm worried about you. I wonder if you have changed. Churchill once said, sometimes our best is not enough. We must do the thing that is required. Everybody said, we're tired of this war. We're tired of them bombing us. Churchill said, sometimes our best is not enough. I can't take this anymore. I'm fed up with this. What am I supposed to do? Go away, bombers? No, he said, I know you're struggling. This is what you need to learn. To get up, and sometimes our best is not enough. We must do the thing that is required. You know what was required here? That he died. God said, I love you so much that if anybody honors you, I'm going to bring them into your kingdom, my kingdom. I'm going to give them an inheritance with the two of us. And that changed history. So here we have a group of men, 20-something. I didn't count them. And we say, Al, what could God do with 20 men? Well, I could tell you what he did with 12, but 20-something is almost twice 12. But 100 million men like this isn't going to affect much. I'm not asking you to do miracles. I'm not asking you to do ministry. I'm not asking you for any of that. I'm just talking about our relationship with God. What could God possibly do? I don't know. But let's say there were 20 men who were glued together by the Spirit of God and went on that side of the scale instead of the other side of the scale. Because the thing that God is worried about, I think, and this is my last point, this is what I celebrate. Okay, This is where I was. This is where I am. This is what I said. This is what I learned. And now this is what I celebrate. What am, what am I celebrating here? I'm celebrating that God is huge, that God is great, that he does wonders, that he is awesome, that he outweighs everything else, and I want to throw in with him. 
I want to throw in with him. With my brothers in Christ, I want to throw in with him. Because what he's worried about is... i got to read this one. This is what Jesus said when he was on the cross. This is where I am. It's night. It's dark. I am forsaken. It is excruciating. It is tough. It is horrible. It is demonic. It is rejection. It is betrayal. This is where I am. And this is what I said on that cross. Father, forgive them. I am forsaken. This is what I learned, says Jesus. He learned obedience by the things that he suffered. He learned some things too. That if I pick up this cross and follow my Father, it means I'm casting in my lot with him. And this is what I celebrate, says Jesus. That I can now bring you with me. I'm not interested in how much you sinned. It's not going to outweigh my grace and forgiveness. I'm not worried about how much you are hurting or how much you were abused or how much dysfunction is in your life. The question that God has is not do you think badly of him but do you not think worthily of him enough to side with him? And I'll tell you why. If I don't at some point move, if I do luminosity for 10 years and never move up something, I either have total dementia, my brain is not working at all, if, I, if I'm not moving. So I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm 45 years a Christian. I'm two years a Christian. But I'm not moving. There, there's something wrong. And here's the question. I'm trying to form it in, in my head, so just give me a second. I'm not going to give that up. And I'm not going to give that up. And I'm not going to give this up. And I'm not going to give that up. I'm not going to be honest with God. I'm not going to say, hey, Brother Al, or Pastor Wayne, or somebody, um, I need to talk to somebody. Not because I'm in, I'm in terrible sin, maybe you are, but I can't, I can't do this by myself. And when you are completely honest and tell us where you are and what you're saying to yourself about God and yourself and the way your life should be, and then when you learn that the most important thing is that you get up from where you are and you move on because the glory of God is at stake. And here's the, here's the excruciating part of this. Just give me one second. Remember, I had 37 pages. Let me just tell you, I'm trying to formulate it. If I don't move, 
this means. I belittle all of this over here that God did for me. Because I want life my way. And I will not be broken. I remember talking to a pastor one time. And he said to me, I couldn't, I couldn't help him. I couldn't help him. Uh, he was not broken. His wife came in the next day and said, Pastor Al, I wish you were somebody who would help my husband. But he's an unbroken man. I never did help him. I have about five guys that I've been working with for years and years. I can't help them. Do you know why? It's more important to them that they don't lose what's over here. Their control, their reputation, their name, their bending, than it is for the glory of God. So I'm, I'm still trying to focus on this last point about why we don't do this. I am belittling the glory of God when I don't participate in this work. I'm saying you may be great, you may be awesome, you may do terrific things, you're not going to do anything in my life. And God says, you got that right. You can wear all the red ties you want to. I'm not going to do it until you let me, not Al, not Pastor Wayne, not any other person, you let the Holy Spirit tell you where you are because he already knows. But you have to say it. That's being honest. And then when I say it, and I use those words, and I'm sitting in my living room, and I'm listening to this person, one day, defiant. Next day, God, I just want to say most of this is directed towards you. That's when the change happens. Because in reality, I'm really saying, it's nice that Jesus died. It's nice that God is going to reward me at the end of my life and that I'm going to heaven. But I like these things, Al. I like these things that are hindering me. I like, I like being selfish. I like having my own way. I like being in control. I like being dominant. I like being a bully. What does he celebrate? He celebrates. God, you're in the water. Whatever waters are coming, I'm celebrating this. Here come the waters. That's why Isaiah said, when you pass through the waters, they shall not overwhelm you. When you go through the rivers, they're not going to kill you. The very waters, thunders, lightning. Can you think of anything more horrible than being in a hurricane or a tornado? And yet God is in And what he's celebrating is, you led me like a pastor. I, I didn't see your footprints. I didn't even know you were coming to the breakfast today. And suddenly the Holy Spirit of God is saying things to me. You see, in preaching, sometimes we just give people information at prayer breakfasts or Sunday mornings or Sunday nights or whatever. We give people information and we think the more information we have, the more notes we have, the better. In counseling, if I were counseling you, after we got all the places where you were and all the things that you said 
and all the things that you're learning about your life. I always bring people to the point of celebration. What are we going to do about this? It's decision time. I never say, go home, think about this for three years, gather more notes, visit ten other counselors. It always comes down to every one of these things were resolved because we closed the book on this. If this is where you are, and this is what you said, and this is what you're learning, then you have to come to the point where I'm in. There's my rock. I'm in. Now let's pray. Dear God, this is where I was. This is what I said. This is what I learned. Now can I celebrate freedom? If you ever watched Braveheart, you know that when they have him on the chopping block at the end, and he says, do you want to say anything to the crowd? And they've been beating him to a pulp and stretching him out, and he cries, freedom! That's exactly So, if you don't, if you don't wait in counseling, why do we wait in preaching? And I'll tell you what sparked that thought in my head. I'm reading this old guy a couple hundred years ago. And he says that God is always present when his word is preached. And I said, God, why do I do this? When I counsel, I always want people to do something. I want them to pray. I want them to make a list. I want them to think about this. I'm not forcing them. I don't bully them. I don't push them. But I say, if you want to, if this makes sense to you, are you going to throw in with God? Because if you don't, here's what you're stealing from God. Here's what you're robbing from God. The glory that he should have gotten from your life well lived is gone because you lived your life your way. You say, I'm going to keep my little rock right here. I'm going to go for a better options. Maybe there's a sale on, and I'm just going to... And if you give me too much trouble, then I will be addicted to something to get rid of the pain. But what you're asking me to do is to revolutionize the way I think about me. Absolutely right. So, if every time the Word of God is preached, this is not just a suggestion of God. You can't go away and say, man, the breakfast was good, the fellowship was great. God spoke to my heart. And away we go. We are dismissing him. We are saying, God, I don't think you're that heavy. No, he says, I'm, I'm heavy. And I'm there. And I'm great. And this is what I want you to know about yourself as to really where you are and I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. This is what I want you to learn. I want you to learn that I am worth it. I, I, this really grabbed me this week. Because somebody said to me, I, I want to be a counselor. How do you do it? I said, give me 45 years and some pretty awful, horrible experiences. And it's like, how, how do I want to be a mechanic? Do I read Reader's Digest article on being a mechanic? Let me see that diesel engine. I want to be a believer. Well, I say it's getting up a lot. It's learning a lot. It's saying a lot. It's feeling a lot. And it's celebrating a lot. Now, just suppose God came to the breakfast this morning. And he wants to lead us like a pastor. But he's going to do it by the hand of Moses and Aaron. 
It always involves other people. There's been David. There's been Gideon, Samson. There's always a man somewhere. And somebody starts it, okay? You have David, then you have 300 brave men. You have Jesus, and you have 12 disciples. You have God and the men who showed up at the breakfast. I'm celebrating God that no matter what comes to me, I have no idea what's coming into your life or my life tomorrow. There may be thunder, lightning, arrows, trouble. The sea be overwhelming. Your way was through the sea. Look down at verse uh, 12. I ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is like, like our God? You are the God who does wonders. You make known your might among the people. Your arm saved Israel. When Jesus comes back, let's say he came back at 4 o'clock today. And you meet him for the first time. One of the things you will realize about him, he is totally heavy. He is totally awesome, totally great. And you say to him, I was uh, holding out. I'm not asking if you're doing lots of stuff. I'm not asking you if you're living right. I'm just saying, if God is here for the purpose of helping us, then with all your limitations, I got to do something, right? And part of that something is realizing I am connected to Almighty God. And everything that comes my way, he's going to use to teach me about himself. In the presence of God, the rules of ordinary nature become unhinged. That's what he does in nature. He does some pretty phenomenal things in nature. His best miracle, though, his best miracle is what he does in the hearts of human beings. That's what it's about. I, I, like, I love to watch nature shows, but I love to watch what he does in the hearts of men. So... Uh, next time I will use light illustrations. I know you got trouble. And I know you've tried lots of things. And I know maybe you want to. But since Jesus is here, isn't he? And you have lots of ministry. And you do love your wife and your kids. And you do hang around the brethren at the breakfast table. But life gets tough sometimes. And I have this life, which is not for Dan Ross, and it's not for the company that you work with, or the ministry that you do, or the people that you counsel, or the Bible school that you work for, 
It's not primarily for them. That's just to fund it. It is for the glory of God. And if I keep this, then the glory that God was supposed to get from my life, he's never going to get it. Because you're more important than he is. So I don't know if I was younger... Did he open those up for me, please, would you? Just pour them in there. Just keeping you awake. And since Jesus died for me, and since God is so full of glory, don't break the cross, and since I have a life, Watch me. I'm not bullying. If you just said to God and to the other brethren today, I'd like to throw my rock in. That doesn't mean you're going to be loaded down with ministry and, and, and you need to do more. This is just you and God. So how about we just seal off for a second. And if you'd like to, maybe not, but if you'd like to and you say, this is where I am, this is what I said, this is what I'm learning, this is what I want to celebrate. I want this. I want this. Would you just come up, take a rock, put it in on that side, and then when you're done, we're going to put it over here and put this on top of it and say this is how God does things. He doesn't just want you to know about these things. He doesn't want you to just come to church tomorrow and come to prayer breakfast. He, he, he wants you to say, do you think I'm heavy? Do you think I'm big? Do you think I'm glorious? Do you think I'm powerful? Then side with me. Side with me if you do. And, and it, you know, the most moving part of my life was I was at Word of Life. And uh, in 67, the year before I came, and we had this guy up there called Colonel Jack McGuckin. He was a... I remembered his name for some reason. I thought he was an awful speaker. And Friday night, Colonel Jack McGuckin said, "Um, we got these little sticks here. And they had a bonfire going. And he said, "If, if if you want an outward sign, that one rang. If you want an outward sign that you can remember, Come up and throw your stick. Now, there were 300 and something kids on the island. I was uh, 19 years old. And I ran up and I grabbed me a stick like that. I grabbed two. I was serious. And I threw it into that fire. And I said, when Jack McGuckin started speaking, I said, oh, God, not Jack McGuckin again. And that guy, the Spirit of God, just And they were looking for me after, and they couldn't find me. I was out in the woods. And I was saying, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. Can you use this kid from Bermuda? Can you do something with my very broken psychological, emotional, relational life? I said, I threw my stick in. You know what I did? I got up that time. And I tried to get up. Because you're not following him. And you're not following the deacons. You're following on this side. And I've got to tell you that 
if these guys go in with him, you will have something to celebrate. You know who thinks that's really cool? God. I was going to leave all this stuff home this morning. I said to my wife, I got too many things. I got 37 pages in my head. I'll never be able to get through this. <clears throat> Just looked at the outline, the 36 pages are somewhere there. Churchill said, sometimes our best is not enough. We must do the thing that is required. What's, what's, he, what's he mean by that? Here's God standing, waiting to do mighty deeds in my life. That's the wonderful thing to witness, is when he does this not only in your life, but then he uses you to do this in other people's lives. I think the worst thing that could ever happen is there's a failure to tip. Al, I got stuff in my life, I know. But as long as you're tipped this way, he, he's promised to take care of you. If I never counsel another person in my life, if I never ever preach again, I still think he's awesome. We got to tell this to the next generation. That's what he says. So it's luminosity for the soul. If you work at what you cannot now do, and you keep working at that, eventually God will help you to do what you could not do before. Let's pray together. Father, what a psalm. What a God. What a Savior who said, not my will, but thine be done. If it's the cross, to the cross I go. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the Spirit of God. Thank you for your word. Thank you for every man in this room. Please do something wonderful with us, through us, among us, for your glory. Because you're worth it. You are so huge and so big and so wonderful. And we bow before you today. And in Jesus' name, Brother Wayne tomorrow as he speaks. Bless those who are in leadership here and the trustees and the office workers and the school folk and the vacation Bible school that's coming up. For your glory we pray. Amen. Thank you to the people who do the kitchen work and the setting up and all that kind of stuff. And thank you for coming.